tomorrow in Jesus' name. But tonight, one of my favorite preachers of all time, I was just, uh, I was going to say I was a young man. I didn't get saved as a young man, but I was younger and was exposed to Brother Bass's ministry in a great preaching conference many years ago uh, called PSR in Fresno, California. And from that time, uh, and it's increased over the years because I've actually had, gotten the opportunity to get to know him personally. Tremendous man of God in and out of the pulpit. But uh, he has always been one of my favorite preachers for his clear and certain sound. Yes. And uh, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, lighten up. Lighten up a little bit. Come on, you're in summit. We need to shake off all that stuff the world puts on us and just realize we're one God people. We one God people. I might take a lap right now. That's how unpredictable I am. But I won't. But just letting the devil know I might do I might do something like that at any given moment in Jesus' name. But it is a delight also to have Sister Bass with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. And also uh, running our sound again this year, doing a fabulous job, Brother Tim Bass. And it's great to have his wife with us in Jesus' name. Love these folks. Tremendous people. Brother Bass has been an incredibly relevant apostolic voice in the last three or four summits that he has preached. I love him very much. I have total confidence in him to preach with the word of the Lord, what God has given him to preach to us tonight. Would you put your hands together one more time under the Lord for the man of God? Somebody make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, let's make a joyful noise. Bless the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The psalmist said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. I choose to serve him with gladness tonight. There's a reason why, because I read over in the book of Deuteronomy, where the Lord told Israel, he said, because you serve me not with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. He said, then I'm going to let you serve your enemies in hunger and thirst and nakedness. I decided the alternative is not for me. I'm going to serve him with gladness. I'm going to serve him with a smile on my face. I'm going to let the devil know you don't have anything to offer me. Can I get a witness in this house? Hallelujah. Praise God. I am delighted to be here tonight. It is indeed an honor uh, to be a part of this conference uh, for several years now. And um, it is a great honor. I give 
uh, honor tonight to the local pastor, the bishop of this assembly, and his dear wife. We love brother and sister Mayo. Amen. We love them dearly. And of course, their family. Uh, I am also very happy to have my wife with me tonight, as well as my son uh, and his dear wife, and little Gracie. Amen. My sweet little Gracie. Praise God. And then I also have tonight my baby daughter, and she brought her husband with her, my son-in-law. Amen. Wonderful people. I love my children. One of my daughters is not here in her family. I thank God that uh, my son-in-law, who was in very, very poor health due to kidney disease, just about a month ago, the Lord opened the door, and God gave him a brand new kidney. Amen. And he's doing very, very well. Praise the Lord. But my, my son here tonight, I'm very happy he's here since he's running sound. Amen. Best, absolutely the best sound man in Pentecost. But if, if you think he does good on sound, you ought to hear him preach and teach. In fact, he and my son-in-law both, I told somebody the other day, I said, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to preach as many places as I can, do all that I possibly can while I can because... If these guys are ever found out about, then I'm going to be out of a job. And so I'm just going, I'm going to get out here and make hay while the sun shines. Amen. But I'm delighted to be here. I thank God for what he's doing already in this meeting. I believe we're just entering into a dimension of the Holy Ghost for this conference, for these three nights and two days that are going to be nothing less that marvelous, powerful, glorious. Amen. Amen. I want to read tonight from the book of John, chapter number four and verse 35. There are probably 115 other verses I could have read tonight for my text. I'm not going to read all of them. I'm just going to read one. But there are 115 different ones besides this one that I could have read. And you'll understand that more in a few moments. But I want to read this one verse. I, uh, I felt uh, the Holy Ghost uh, give me this message for this conference. I'm walking down a new path tonight. But I believe that God gave me this for this first night. And I believe he's going to help us. St. John chapter 4, verse 35. Say not ye, or say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Amen. One more time. Clap your hands unto the Lord and give him a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You can be seated. 
I have noticed in, and I'm going to give you my title here in just a few moments, but I have noticed in recent months that there is a word that is being used quite often in the news media. Actually, that's really not a correct term because they don't really, they don't really pronounce or announce or project or talk about the news. Amen. If you got any sense at all, you understand what they're really doing. They're giving their interpretation of the news. They're telling you what they want you to believe about the news. So they're not really reporting the news. They're just giving you the interpretation of the news. And so I've noticed a term, and and I don't read a lot. Actually, I do a lot of headline reading because I read the headline, and most of the time I can pretty much figure out what's going to be in the rest of the article, especially whoever the originator of the article is, whatever the source is. There's certain sources I already know what they're going to say, so I don't even bother to read the rest of it. I get pretty much what I need out of the title. But there is a word that's used quite often, and that word is narrative. There is the term narrative that is used over and over again. Even in recent days, I have noted that same terminology that is being used, that there is a narrative that they are trying to, to convey. And recently, just uh, probably in the next past two or three weeks, I read an article about the leadership of a current political party that was in disarray because their agenda was in peril. And the reason that their agenda is in peril is because, according to the article, they have lost control of the narrative. There are voices within their party that are speaking loud and at times very viciously because the resistant voices in their own party have their own agenda. And so the people that are in leadership understand that whoever controls the narrative controls the outcome. Amen. Whoever controls the narrative controls the outcome. And so the voices of resistance has also discovered that law. That that's how things unfold. And so they are making an effort to control the narrative within their party so that they can carry us to a different outcome. The one that they desire for it to be. And so it is that the party leadership really doesn't know what to do because they've lost control of the narrative. And so they're currently scrambling to take back control. So I'm not really here tonight to talk politics. I'm not here tonight to talk about political parties. But I am here tonight to tell you that hell has an agenda. And the agenda of hell is to shut down your revival. Now I'm talking to, I'm, if I don't talk to anybody else here tonight, I want to talk to some home missionaries. That the agenda of hell is to shut down your revival. It's to lock down your ministry. Hell's agenda is to resist you at every turn. It's to stifle your worship services. It's to paralyze your ability 
to reach your city. And the only way that hell can accomplish its agenda is to control the narrative. My mandate tonight coming to this pulpit on the first night of summit is to tell this conference that it's time to change the narrative. Oh, hallelujah. It's time to change the narrative. In fact, I'll go a step further and say it's time to control the narrative. Because I'm convinced tonight that more than ever, if we can get the church at large to stop listening to hell and start listening to the pulpit, the potential to change the outcome will increase exponentially. Come on, I feel Holy Ghost here tonight. Amen. I'm tired of hell controlling the narrative of our church. I'm tired of hell telling us whether we can have revival or not. I'm tired of hell telling people they don't have what it takes to live for God. Woo, hallelujah. It's time somebody stood up and controlled the narrative. Change the narrative. Tell somebody you can make it. You can have revival. You can see the work of God accomplished. Ah, clap your hands and praise him. Hallelujah. I found that the four words that Jesus used in, Matthew, in John 4 and 35, I say unto you that Matthew records it being said by Jesus 52 different times. In Mark, he recorded it as being said 13 times. Luke said that Jesus used those four words 30 different times. And John, 21 times. So recorded 116 times in four books is the term Jesus used, I say unto you. Which tells me something. That when Jesus came, he didn't like the narrative of the religious world. He didn't like the narrative of the political world. He didn't like the narrative that hell was projecting. And so Jesus said, I say unto you. I've got some things to say because I've come to change the narrative. I've come to change how you think. I've come to change what you believe. Oh, hallelujah. He said, he said on one occasion, in fact, several times he made the statement, you have heard it said by them of old time. But I say unto you. And so in our text tonight, and that's my, my title, amen, that's right, that's fine. I was going to say it's time to change the narrative, but I really think the correct term tonight is it's time to control the narrative. Jesus said, say not ye, isn't this what you're saying? Isn't this your narrative? Isn't this what you're talking about? That there's yet four months and then comes harvest? I've come to tell you that's not the case. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. For they are white. All ready to harvest. 
Uh, come on, you don't believe what I'm saying tonight. Hallelujah. The enemy wants you to believe it's going to happen sometime in the future. The enemy wants you to believe it's going to happen next summer or next year or when we get a new building or when this happens or that happens. But the Lord is saying, don't say that. Change your narrative. Take a different position. It can happen right now. Jesus is saying, it ain't time to wait on revival. It ain't time to talk about a future revival. The harvest has come. The harvest is now. (laughs) Hallelujah. You see, we get caught in the trap that says it can't happen now. We get caught in the trap that says it's not the right time. Not what Jesus said. That's not the narrative of Jesus. Because whoever controls the narrative controls the outcome. And when you and I start talking about revival now. And we start talking about breakthrough now. And we start breaking up talking about change being destroyed now. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to step out on a limb tonight. And I'm going to tell you that the problem with the Northwest for many, many years is the the problem has been with the narrative. It's been with what's been preached in the pulpit. It's been the attitude of what people have been saying. It's that position that they have taken that said, we're not going to have revival. This is an unbreakable place. This region cannot see what God wants to happen. Hallelujah. This region will never see what others Hallelujah. Jesus said, I'm here to tell you that the narrative of heaven is not that. The narrative of heaven says uh, it doesn't matter what the New Age movement says in the Northwest. It doesn't matter what traditional Pentecost says. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what dead Pentecost says. It doesn't matter what dry Pentecost says. Heaven's saying it's time. It's time. Right now. The hour's at hand. Quit talking tomorrow. Quit talking next week. Quit talking next year. Amen. Shunammite woman took her miracle son that had died, took him into the room of the prophet, laid him on the prophet's bed, came down out of that boy's room, and when she got outside, she said, I want somebody to saddle me a donkey. Amen. Where are you going? I'm going to see the prophet of God. And their words to her was this. The narrative in that home was this. Wherefore will you go to him today? It's neither new moon or the Sabbath. 
what they were saying was it's the wrong time it's just not the right time to expect what you really want to see so there's no use in you even trying but this woman said oh no it shall be well I don't care that it's neither new moon nor is it Sabbath Hallelujah. It doesn't matter to me what everybody else thinks. You might think it's the wrong time. I think it's the right time. You see, it was that preacher that said I could have this baby. It was that preacher that said I could have this miracle. And my miracles died. But I'm going to go back to that same source. I don't care that you think the day is not right. I'm telling somebody in the Holy Ghost tonight. You need to quit believing that somewhere, somehow, way in the future, it's going to happen. You need to step back in your pulpit this coming Sunday. And you need to say, the time is now. The hour is now. I'm weary with waiting. I'm weary with it happening in the future in my mind. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jesus had been out healing the sick, working great miracles, teaching the word of God, talking about the kingdom of God. Scripture said when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. So now we have two excuses. The narrative says this is a desert place. It's the wrong place. And secondly, it's the wrong time. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. In other words, Lord, it's time to close up shop. It's time to pack the bags. It's time to take our our journey back to our place of rest. Send everybody home. And Jesus said, they don't need to depart. I want you to give them to eat. Amen. What do you mean? In a desert place? Yes, in a desert place. Some of y'all get on board here in just a few minutes. We'll have a little bit of church. Hallelujah. Because too many of us think the place that we're at is the wrong place. If God sent you there, it's the right place. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what resistance you're facing. It doesn't matter what you're up against. If God puts you there, you're in the right place. It might be a desert place. It may look like the wrong place. But if God's in it. disciples you got you got the narrative all wrong you might think this is the wrong place and you might think it's the wrong time but I got news for you I'm about to do a work that's gonna blow you heard it already tonight you heard the choir singing it's gonna blow your mind it's gonna blow your mind you're not even gonna hardly believe what I'm about to do Oh, hallelujah. You see, you got to understand that the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that is recorded 
by all four gospel writers. The only miracle. All gospel, all four gospel writers recorded that miracle. And they recorded it as happening in the evening time. It didn't happen at the dawning of the day. It didn't happen at the zenith when the sun was at its zenith. It didn't happen midday. It happened when the sun was going down. When the shadows were being cast from the west back to the east. You see, some of us, our problem is we read the book of Acts. And we read about 3,000 getting the Holy Ghost at the dawning of the day. We realize, oh hallelujah, we read about 5,000 getting the Holy Ghost. And a great multitude when the sun was just coming up on Pentecost. And our idea is it's the evening time. We're just like the disciples. It's the evening time. The time is far past. Amen. It's a desert place. It's the wrong place. And it's not the right time. I am convinced that Jesus allowed this miracle to be recorded. To send us a message. Pentecost in the evening time. Telling us that it might be evening time. But what he did in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 5. any doubt that the sun is setting on Pentecost. I don't have any doubt that the sun is in the western sky on Pentecost but that doesn't mean it's over with. The same God that brought this thing with power in the beginning of the day can take it out with power at the end of the day. You just got to change the narrative. You got to change how it's being said. In fact, let's take it a step further. The wrong place, they said. This is not the right place for it to happen. Well, we go to the scripture. And if I, if I remember correctly, that there were 37 major miracles that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus performed. And as near as I'm able to tell, only eight of them were performed either in the synagogue or on the Sabbath day. The right place and the right time. Only eight of them. So four times as many as those that were performed in the synagogue, in the house of worship, was performed in the streets. Was be- you see, some of us are thinking that we got to have it only in church. It's going to only happen What's wrong with it happening at your Bible study? What's wrong with it happening in a hospital room? What's wrong with it happening? Come on, you gotta change the way you're thinking. You gotta change the way you're talking. Oh, hallelujah. Well, if I could just get you to my church. If I could just get my pastor to lay his hands on you. Don't you have the Holy Ghost? I said, don't you have the Holy Ghost? Aren't you a believer? Did he say the believers shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover? (laughs) 
some saints here tonight that you'll change the narrative of your life. You need to quit getting up in the morning time talking about how hard it is to try to do anything for God. You need to quit getting up in the morning time talking about how tough it is to get a breakthrough. You ought to get up in the morning time saying, I'm looking for somewhere that God can do a miracle today. I'm looking for somebody that God could do a miracle with. Go ahead. Let the devil control the narrative of your life. Or you let the pulpit to start controlling the narrative. You let the pulpit tell you get up from where you are. Quit having your pity party. Quit sitting on the sidelines. Always moaning and groaning. About everything going on in your life. Get up. Get up. Start talking different. Start believing different. I keep hearing people say, why don't we see the miracles of yesterday? Well, maybe we ought to change how this thing has been thought about. Hallelujah. Maybe we ought to say if Jesus performed four times more miracles in the streets. Hallelujah. In the avenues, in the villages, out in the city than he did inside the house of worship. Maybe that's where the miracles are. Maybe. Amen. Hell, hell likes to talk a good talk. You know what they say nowadays. Nowadays, hell, hell likes to talk smack. That's not even in my notes, but it sounds good. Hell likes to talk smack. Well, it's about time we start talking a little smack. It's about time we start looking hell back in the face and say, "You know what Jesus said? You were. You're a liar." You're a liar. And the only way I know you're lying is when your mouth is moving. Devil, when you're talking to me, you're lying to me. And I'm not going to buy into your lies. Hell like to talk smack. That's what Sanballat tried to do with Nehemiah. When Sanballat heard that we built the wall, he was wroth. Yeah, 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 go ahead, devil, get mad. He took great indignation. He mocked the Jews. He spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. So that's what the devil was saying. That's what the narrative of hell was. Amen. Three major things that hell was trying to do with regard to Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Number one, he was trying to plant the thought in the minds of the people that the job is too great. Will they revive the stones? Will they revive this, this city out of the heaps of rubbish? Are they going to do that? 
Secondly, planning in the minds of the people of God that they were too feeble, they were too weak, that the personnel involved in the rebuilding project didn't have what it took to get the job done. And the third thing was that there's probably a, not a great likelihood that there's going to be any divine intervention. That there's not going to be any divine help. That God probably really is not going to help them out. And so verse number four, that's the first three verses. But verse four, Nehemiah said, here, oh, our God, what did he do? Did he listen to hell? Did he listen to the, the narrative of Sanballat and Tobiah? No, he found him a prayer room. He found him an altar. Because if you want to know how to change the narrative of your life, you need to find you a prayer room and start talking to your God. Huh? Because when you get in your prayer room, you won't spend all your time talking to your God about how big your mountains are. But you'll come out of that prayer room telling your mountain how big your God is. Verse 5 was his prayer room. Verse 4 and 5 was his prayer meeting. Verse number 6, listen what it said. So built we the wall. And all the wall was joined together in the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. You know why? They didn't let their mind get affected by the words of Sanballat. They didn't let their minds get affected by the words of Tobiah. They just went right on working. I'm preaching to some preacher here tonight. Get back on the job. Get back in the pulpit. Get back on the wall. Keep on preaching. Don't pay any attention to Sanballat. Huh? Joshua and Caleb said, we're well able. But the problem is the poison of the narrative of the ten had already infected the congregation. And the outcome was that they wandered for 40 long years. Hallelujah. But when that 40 long years was over with, Caleb came to Joshua and said, Joshua, I'm going to tell you right now, you see that mountain over there? Moses gave me that mountain. And he said, I'm as strong today as I was 40 years ago. Now I want my mountain. You know what that tells me? It tells me for 40 years, Caleb kept on saying, that's my mountain. I'm going to get my mountain. I'm going after my mountain. I don't care what the 10 said. I don't care about their unbelief. I don't care what's going on right now. I'm still going to have. You can sit down. Glory. My Lord, help me, Jesus. Where's most of our struggle? Most of our struggle's right here in our mind. It's our thought process. Whatever our thought process is typically what our 
action is going to be or our lack of action. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. The next verse is a parenthetical statement, which means that what is being said there is not actually verbatim in the original. But it is given to explain a little more clearly what is about to be said. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then he names the number one stronghold. The number one stronghold that we have to contend with is casting down imaginations. Strongholds in verse number four is not intended to be the first thing we need to look at. The strongholds is only explaining what he's about to tell us. He's telling us what I'm about to say are the strongholds. And the number one stronghold is casting down imaginations. Because that's where it all starts. We wake up and we hear the voice of the adversary in our ear. We look at our situation and we think it's too great. We look at the world we're living in. We look at the, uh, the, the mission field that we're involved in. And all we see is all the negative. And we see all the insurmountable evidence that we're never going to get the job done. And hell assaults our mind with that feeling it's never going to happen. And then our imagination runs wild. And, and we start thinking, I'm probably not the man for the job. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to tell, there's a preacher here tonight that you have said that recently. I'm not the man for the job. I'm telling you if the Holy Ghost sent you there, you're the man for the job. Get up. Get up. Quit letting hell dictate the narrative of your life. Get up. Quit talking, I'm not the man. Quit talking, I don't have what it takes. Quit listening to hell when it says, even if you build anything, it probably won't last very long. Who you working for, anyhow? Who you working with? The last time I read, your boss said, Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not, shall not. Oh, hallelujah. You ought to get a spirit inside of you that says, I think I could charge hell with a bucket of water right now. I think I could enter. I think I could enter into the very strongholds of hell itself and begin to see God bring deliverance. Breaking some yokes, destroying some chains. Come on, we're here to help somebody here tonight. You're not in this by yourself. You're not in this all by yourself. You're not in this alone. You got a God that's standing there with you. You got a God that called you to that city. You got a God that put the burden in your heart. You got a God that ordained your ministry in that house. 
I got to hurry. Amen. Jesus showed up at the pool of Bethesda one day. And he walked over to a man laying in a bed. And he said to this man, Wilt thou be made whole? And the man began to speak the narrative of his life. He said to Jesus, Lord, I have no man when the waters are being troubled to help me in the water. And he said, when I make an effort to do it, he said, somebody else gets there before I do. That's not what Jesus asked him. He didn't ask the man what his excuses were. He didn't ask him what his narrative, because that's what the narrative of the man's life was. I don't have anybody to help me. I'm in this thing all by myself. I'm in this thing all alone. I don't have anybody to assist me. I got nobody to back me up. I'm the only one. I sing. I'm up there leading the singing. I'm up there playing the music. I'm up there leading testimony service. I'm up there preaching the sermon. I'm up there whenever somebody needs to be prayed for. I'm the one doing the prayer. Well, just keep on doing it. Hallelujah. Because I'm going to tell you, friend, there'll be a point where Jesus will show up and things will change. But you got to change the narrative. Somebody always gets blessed before I do. Somebody, oh, help me, Jesus. I'm just going to preach what I feel. Somebody gets a new building before I get a new building. Somebody gets a bigger place before I get a bigger place. Somebody's got more than I've got. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. One man said, he said, he said, I'm going to tell you right now. He said, I, I got friends. They, they're, they're praying the doctors through. They're praying the lawyers through. They're praying bankers through. He said, what do I get? I get dingbats. That's what I get. And he said, then my dingbats go out and get more dingbats. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, just go ahead. Whatever God gives you, you ought to be thankful. You ought to shout about it. You ought to praise God for it. I don't have anybody to help me. Listen, I'm not throwing you under the bus tonight. I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to tell you to change the way you're talking. Change the narrative of your life. Change the way you're speaking. When you, oh glory to God. If there ain't nobody in church, preach like there's a hundred in church. If you've only got six there, preach like there's a thousand there. when there's one there how are you going to preach when there's two there and if you can't preach when there's two how can you preach when there's three you've got to just preach you've got to use come on use your voice speak the words Peter and John shows up at the gate beautiful And when they passed by that man that had been lame from birth and had been set at that gate for many, many years. Scripture said when Peter and John got beside him that the man 
ask for alms. Now think about this. Here's a man that's been at this gate for many, many years. He was, according to Acts 5 or 4, he was above 40 years old. Amen. He had been that way a long time. Which means that he may have been there when Jesus came to Jerusalem and went to the temple. And he may have heard about all the miracles and it never happened to him. He never saw it take place for himself. And, and then Jesus is crucified. I'm sure the man at the gate probably heard all the news of the day. I mean, that was where everything was going on. But he's at the gate. He's lame. He can't go any further because he's a lame man. He's got a handicap. He's restricted. He can go no further than where he is. And whenever Peter and John shows up, he says, would you give me some alms? Because that was the narrative of his life. You know what the narrative of that man's life was? He had become so acclimated to his condition, to his situation, that he felt like there was no hope for him. Nothing else was going to change. He couldn't get any further than what he already was. And so the thing I need for y'all to do is give me some alms and sustain me in the condition that I'm in. Sustain me where I am. Sustain me in my, my handicap condition. I'm, I'm just going to do a little pause right here and tell you, we got too many folks sitting on our pews that want a preacher to just sustain them where they are. The narrative of their life is that things are never going to change. They're never going to get anywhere. They're as far as they're going to go. They got a handicap. They got a problem. It could be a spiritual problem. It could be a handicap. It could be a character flaw. It could be something that's restricting them. And they've got to a point where their attitude is just give me enough to sustain me where I am. Pat me on the back. Tell me you love me. I'll be back next Sunday. I'll show up Sunday night. I'll be back for midweek Bible study. Just give me enough to sustain me. But Peter and John said, oh no. The narrative of your life is about to change. Hallelujah. Silver and gold have I none. I don't have what you want, but I've got what you need. I got a change of narrative. I got a change of in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And immediately his ankle bones received strength and he went walking and leaping and dancing into the house of God. I'm just trying to tell somebody here tonight, you need to realize that what God's trying to do is change the narrative of your life. Quit thinking you're never going to get any further than you are. Quit thinking that you're never going to have a church more than 15. That's a lie from hell. That's what hell says. I'm trying, folks. I'm trying to get through this. Amen. Albert Einstein said this, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. We cannot, I'll say it again, thank you, for the invitation. We cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. 
And we're not going to solve the issue of whether we're going to have revival or not with the same level of narrative that we have had for so many years in the Northwest. You're not going to solve it. Somebody's got to do a got, got to do like Bishop Mayo and get in the pulpit when there ain't nobody there and say we're going to have revival. We're going to break this thing. We're serving notice on the prince of the power of the air of this city that he's not going to control the narrative any longer. Somebody's just showed up that's going to change it. We're going to change the narrative of Spokane. We're going to change the narrative of Portland. Hallelujah. We're going to change the narrative all over Washington, all over Oregon, all over Idaho. We're going to change it. We're letting hell know. Come on, I'm telling you what we can do in this conference. We can set the leadership of hell at disarray, trying to figure out what are we going to do. We got to get control again. We got to bring this thing back. You got to give me just a few more minutes. Please, I'm asking for just a few more minutes. I feel this thing down in my spirit. Amen. You see, I want you to stop and think about something. The man at the pool and the man at the gate where those two men were concerned. My question is, who took them to the pool and who took them to the gate and left them there? Huh? I said, who took them to that place and left them there? Sounds to me like it was some folks that really didn't believe that things would change in their life. Oh, hallelujah. We cannot be guilty of a church in 2019 of merely bringing people to the gate, bringing them to the pool, and leaving them there to fend for themselves and make it the best way they can. Because of the fact that our narrative is no different than theirs. Their situation is too terrible. Their situation is too great. It ain't ever going to change. They can't get their miracle. It's not going to happen. Huh? Let me contrast that real quick. Four men bring one man sick of the palsy. They get to where Jesus is. They bring their friend to Jesus. And when they get him to the door, the door is full. When they check the windows, the windows are full. When they look over the shoulders, the house is full. Amen. They could have just shrugged their shoulders and said, just like we thought. We know he's in the house, but we'll never get close enough to him. Uh Uh-uh. That wasn't the narrative of four men. 
They looked at one another and said, you thinking what I'm thinking? Oh yeah, I'm thinking what you're thinking. I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. There's only one place that I don't see anybody. That's the roof. that said we're not just going to get you close to Jesus we're going to get you right where he is we're going to get you in the place where he is we're going to rip the roof back we're going to do whatever it takes I'm getting close to where I want to get now amen just give me a few more minutes No, I'm not going to take all night. Trust me, I won't last all night. I'm I'm about to turn the mic over to somebody else. Hallelujah. When Jesus saw the man sick of the palsy, let down in front of him. The Bible said that when Jesus saw their faith... I know I'm not preaching anything new here tonight. I'm just telling you what the Holy Ghost sent me here to tell you. When he saw their faith, not the man who was sick of the palsy, his faith. Because sometimes the people that you're trying to help don't have what it takes. The only ones that have what it takes are those that's got the right kind of narrative. Those that speak in faith. Those that speak in confidence. Those that say we know it can happen. We know God's going to do it. We know God's going to work the miracle. We know God's going to give us the breakthrough. Amen. Now, here's what Jesus said. When a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he takes from him all his armor wherein he trusted and he divides his spoil. I'm not going to get in the weeds on this. I'm just going to tell you that there's a strong man in a lot of folks' life that's got them. He's armed and his goods are at peace within their life. And the only way they're going to get deliverance is if there's one stronger than him. If there's a church stronger than that strong man. What are you trying to say, Brother Bass? I'm just trying to tell you that we're not going to have the victory we want to have whenever the only way we can think is on the same level of the folks that we're trying to help. So many times it will not be the, the faith of the people that you're trying to help, but it's going to be your faith that gets the job done. You got to walk in there saying, God, I believe you're going to do it. You're going to fill somebody with the Holy Ghost tonight. You're going to work a miracle tonight. You're going to give us revival. You're going to give us a breakthrough in this city. (laughs) 
I, I read this. I, I, I trust it's true. I, I think I, I can believe it because I think I know what they're t- who they're talking about. But this statement I read, it said it, it was said of a nation's military that they were dealing with recruits. They were dealing with people that had no desire to improve their skills where modern weaponry was concerned. So instead of trying to train their people upward toward the standard of available modern weaponry, they designed their available modern weaponry downward toward the standard of the people. We don't have to dumb this thing down. I said, we don't have to dumb this thing down. That's why when we come to church, we got to have powerful church. Not just good church. We got to have powerful church. We got to have church that changes the narrative. We're not, oh glory to God. We're not here to get down on the level of the people that are weak. We're here to get the people that are weak and pick them up and bring them up to the level of the strong. Oh, help me. Hallelujah. Come on. And when you got to have bright lights and you got to have spinning lights and you got to have all other kinds sorts of mechanical things to somehow produce some type of response, you got the wrong narrative. You need to get up and preach about the power of God, preach about the word of God, preach about truth, preach about what Jesus can do. Amen. I have witnessed. I have witnessed services. And, and, and you're going to have to forgive me tonight. I, I didn't intend to preach this long, but this is, I, I'm serious. But I have witnessed as a pastor. I have witnessed services where we started off and the power of God fell. People were worshiping all over the house. Holy Ghost was moving. Amen. And think it was growing. It was it was it was growing in power. It was growing. It, it was incredible what was happening in the spirit. It just kept moving higher and higher. And 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 in the midst of that, because it always happens in the midst of the power of God moving, I have witnessed people that that were in need of a touch, backslid, whatever the case might be, and, and I've seen them get out from between the pews and walk down front. Amen. Now listen, I'm going to probably misread, be, be misread on what I'm saying right now. I'm just telling you how I see it. And I have watched as, amen, that individual, one or two or three, whatever, come up front and begin to lift their hands and pray. And I have watched saints that were worshiping take their focus off of the one they were worshiping and they put their focus on this individual And I've watched the service tank. I've watched the spirit begin to dissipate. I've watched the lack of them when I'm thinking, keep worshiping, keep worshiping. The fact that they're up front means that they're wanting to move higher. And the only way we're going to carry them higher is not if we focus on them, but if we keep focusing on God. You want to get the weak to become strong? You got to pull them up to where the strong is.
Come on, don't misread me tonight. I believe in laying on of hands. I believe in praying with people. But I also believe in keeping the power of God flowing and operating. Because that's their hope. That's their hope. And when we focus on them, we lower the service down to their level. When we ought to be keeping it going higher to his level. Because the higher we go in power, the greater the flow of the Holy Ghost is going to be. And the greater potential of their deliverance coming. Amen. Help me, Lord. Moses was in Moses was in a prayer meeting. He was in a he was in a red hot prayer meeting. The people were outside. They were thirsty. And he's in a red hot prayer meeting. And God said, You go out there and speak to that rock. And Moses went out, got in his pulpit, and looked at the crowd. Amen. And he saw a bunch of rebellious faces. And he changed the narrative. God said, speak to the rock. He didn't speak to the rock. He smoked the rock and spoke to the people and said, here now, you rebels. Hallelujah. You know what Moses did? He allowed those in the congregation with rebellion to control the narrative of the pulpit. And because that happened, he was barred from carrying the people across into the land of Canaan. God said, you can't carry them any further. This is as far. Brother, I want to tell you tonight. If, if there's anything that you've got to do when you're in the pulpit, quit looking at one or two faces that are bigger than everybody else's faces in the house. And focus on the hungry hearts. Focus on the thirsty souls. Focus on those that are crying out for God. Don't let the congregation change the narrative of the pulpit. Don't let the congregation, don't let faces control the narrative. I'm almost finished. Mm, Hallelujah. To all the brethren here tonight. I believe we clearly understand that 1 Corinthians 14 and 8 indicates to us that the blowing of the trumpet represents the preaching of the word of God in scripture. 1 Corinthians 14 and 8, for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? There's got to be a distinct message for the people of God to understand. The verse prior to that, he said, for even things without life-given sound, whether pipe or harp, Except they give a distinction in the sound. How shall it be known what is piped or harped? Amen. So if blowing of trumpets represents preaching in scripture. And there's got to be a clarity of sound. There's got to be a clear note. There's got to be a certain sound. Then we go back to the scripture and note where God chose to use Two silver trumpets for the benefit of the people. Four different reasons why those trumpets would be blown. First reason was for the calling of the assembly. Time of consecration, devotion. Another reason was when they would break camp. 
and begin to move, journey from another, one place to another. A third reason was the calling of the assembly to war, when it would encourage them where the warfare was concerned. And last but not least was whenever they had their feast days, these trumpets blew. What you'll notice in Numbers chapter 10 is that every time the word alarm there is used for each one of these individual callings of the people of God. That word alarm in the English comes from a different word in the Hebrew in each situation. Because while it's the same word in English, it's a different word in Hebrew because it means something different. And I'm not going to talk about all four, but just real briefly, the, the first one I want to talk about is the journeying of the camp, the movement of the camp from one location to another. That when they blew those trumpets, those trumpets were designed for two reasons. That when they blew that trumpet, the sound that it made told the people what they were to do. Whether they were to come to the tabernacle or whether they were to start tearing the tents down and start loading up and traveling or whether they were to get themselves armed and ready for war. It told them what they were to do, but it also told them the spirit or the attitude with which they were to do it. Because when you read about the journeying of the camp, when they blew this trumpet, when they blew this alarm, it was a broken, quavering, interrupted sound so blown to encourage and excite the minds of the people in their marches. It comes from a Hebrew word that means an acclamation of joy. It means a high, joyful sound. So when they heard that high, joyful sound, when they heard that acclamation of joy, it said to them, it's time to tear the tents down. It's time to pack up the bags. It's time we're going somewhere. We're not, we've, we've come past this mountain long enough. It's time to move from where we are to another location. We're not going to stay here any longer. And it told them that when you start tearing that tent down, I don't want you grumbling. I don't want you complaining. I don't want you talking about what a, what a sacrifice it is, how hard it is to have revival, how hard it is to go to a new place. I want you to do it with joy. I want you to have a smile on your face. Amen. Preachers, our job is not just to blow the trumpet. It is to declare a clear note, a certain sound. It's to tell the saints of God what they're to do. Give them direction for the future. Give them direction for the church. Give them direction for what God wants to do. And at the same time, set the tone for which we're going to do it. You get them talk about revival and what a sacrifice it is and how hard it is and how tough it's going to be to add one more service during the week. Or you can get up and say, hey, folks, we've got an opportunity here. We've got a chance for God to do some great things. It's about time to get happy. It's about time to get excited. You can remain standing. You see, the narrative, it's not enough. It's not enough that you have the right narrative. You need to have the right spirit behind it. 
Mm, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. You can have a house full of folks complaining because we're going to have another revival. Or you can have a house full of folks that jump up and start clapping their hands saying, oh, we're going to see a good move of God. We're going to have a... I've been in some churches lately where that when they announce they're about to receive the tithe and offering, everybody jumps to their feet and starts clapping their hands. And I've looked around and said, what a novel idea. Somebody's told these folks what a blessing it is to give to God. What a blessing it is. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, no, not another. Yeah, 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 another revival service. Aren't you glad? Aren't you happy? We're going somewhere. We're going to see God do some great things. The other one I want to address real quick is, the, is whenever they were to go to war, when there was an adversary on the horizon, and they were to go out and fight against their adversary. This time when they sounded the alarm, this comes from a Hebrew word which means to split the ears with sound. It means triumph. This sound was a blast of triumph. You know what it said to the crowd? It said, we got an adversary out there. We got to go fight. But we're going to win. We're going to win. And when you read Numbers chapter 10, that particular verse that addresses that, what it's really saying is that when that sound of triumph is blown and you shout with the trumpets. In other words, if you understand that you're going to fight, but before you ever leave the camp, I want you to have a shout of triumph. I want you to have a narrative that says we're going to win. We're going to win. Yeah, we're going to go fight. But we're going to win. We got a battle ahead of us. But we're not going to lose. We're not defeated. No matter what the enemy says. We're going to win. No matter what the devil says. We're going to win. No matter what the narrative of hell is. We're going to win. Oh hallelujah. I want to encourage somebody tonight. Get back in your pulpit. Preach. Set the tone. Control the narrative. Let the devil know you're not going to control the narrative of my church. You're not going to take control of our revival. You're not going to stifle our worship. You're not going to stifle our growth. Is it any wonder? That the psalmist said in Psalms 47 and 1. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Give me some room right here. Hallelujah. 
There's another part of that verse. I wasn't even going to get into this, but somebody needs to hear this. The Lord said, he said, I'm going to tell you. He said, when that trumpet sounds and I hear you shouting with the trumpets, he said, you're going to be remembered before the Lord your God. In other words, when I hear the narrative of the camp saying, we're going to win. He said, I'm coming down there where you are. I'm going to get down there in the midst of you. I'll fight your battle because the battle is not yours. The battle is mine. You hear me tonight? When we get the right narrative, God shows up. When we get the right narrative, come on. When we get the right narrative, hell starts trembling. When we get the right narrative, hell gets all out of sorts. It's lost control. Somebody get control of the narrative. Somebody shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Let hell know you're not going to change my narrative. some home missionaries to come up here come on somebody get ready I want some home missionaries to come up here and I want you to let hell know you're not taking control of the narrative of my life I want you to know hell we're victorious we haven't even fought the battle yet but we're victorious we're in the middle of the battle but we're going to win we're going to win we're going to win we're going to have a breakthrough Come on, come on, come on, come on. No matter what the weapon is, I know we're going to win.